0: Welcome to another edition of the Law and Gospel Devotional. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor and contributor to 1517 in all sorts of ways. And I am looking forward to being back with you today, this Tuesday morning, to dig into God's Word, to see where both His Word of Law and Gospel are and how they address us each and every week. Man, folks, I'm telling you, I had just the most awesome weekend ever Uh, We were at the Las Vegas Here We Still Stand event, and I just can't encourage you enough. If you can, get out to one of our events, get out to one of our conferences at some point in your life. It is so, so, so worth it. So encouraging, so much fun, so many great conversations, so many great talks, so much good food. I just, I can't hype the thing up enough. So uh, whether it be in San Diego next year for our uh, our national event or in Northwest Arkansas, which we'll be holding in April of 2022, try to get out to them. I promise you, promise you or your money back that you will have a great, great time. All right, let's go ahead and dive into uh, our our passage for today. We're looking at the uh, the lectionary text for this upcoming Sunday, specifically the epistle text, and we're in... The letter to the Hebrews, or as I've said, the sermon to the Hebrews, uh, found in Hebrews chapter 7. And if there's anything that I can say this really is about, it is, and it might even sound controversial, but it is that the gospel is better than the law. That the gospel is, in fact, better than the the law. Now, what do I mean by that? Why do I say that? Well, let's get a little background. In the Sermon to the Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews is in the midst of really talking about the priesthood of Melchizedek. Now, what do we know about Melchizedek? Well, initially, not very much, to be honest. I mean, we know that he was both king and priest of Salem, which we know is Jerusalem. We know that because we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 14. And there, in just a couple verses, we learn that Melchizedek, this king and priest, blesses Abram, God's anointed or God's chosen uh, person to uh, be the father of uh, the nation of Israel. His name really doesn't show up again until we get to the Psalms. And there in Psalm 110, we come across what is clearly a messianic promise saying that the Messiah, when he comes, will be a priest not in the order of Aaron, which all the Levitical priests were in, but in fact will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. What this means is the psalm, Psalm 110, is telling us that this Messiah will be not just a priest, but will also be a king. This, of course, fits well with what we know of Jesus. He is both priest and king, and indeed the ultimate prophet. And what we also learn from that is that the priesthood of this, this figure would be eternal. That's what we're told in Psalm 110. Everybody recognized that this was a messianic prophecy. Everyone knew it was. And definitely the preacher to the Hebrews makes that abundantly clear as he exegetes Psalm 110 and shows how it's pointing to the true and better high priest that is Jesus Christ our Lord. So we pick it up at verse 22 of chapter 7. First, we're introduced to Jesus as the guarantor. It says this, this makes Jesus, being that he's in the line of Melchizedek as opposed to Aaron, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. You say, why do I say the gospel is better than the law? Well, because the author of Hebrews says that it's better than the law. Yes, the gospel is a better covenant. Well, let's keep going as he describes indeed why it is. Well, first of all, he points out in a number of ways that Jesus is, of course, better or greater than the Aaronic priesthood, greater than Aaron, and he does this in a number of ways. First, he points out, well, the nature of Jesus's priesthood is that it's eternal as opposed to the priesthood that was temporal. He says in verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Yes, just by the very fact that Jesus is eternal, that he has risen from the dead, that he lives forever and ever, makes him superior to the previous priesthood that the law instituted. But that's not the only reason he gives for why Jesus is superior. The second reason he gives is because, well, this priest, unlike other priests, never stops interceding. And I got to tell you, I I love this. This is one of the doctrines about Jesus that brings me tremendous comfort, knowing that Jesus is always interceding for me, always. That's the word used. Is tremendously comforting because I know I need it. I know I need an advocate standing in my stead all the time. I know I need Jesus standing in the gap for me. And indeed, that is what every Christian has. Look at what it says in verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save the, save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. The priesthood couldn't do that. The Aaronic priesthood just couldn't because as he noted already, they'd either die Or there just wasn't enough of them. There was a lot of priests, but they never could do it all the time. Jesus always does it for you, always stands up for you, like a defense attorney, as is portrayed here from the movie A Time to Kill, one of my favorite movies starring a defense attorney-type figure in Matthew McConaughey. But we move on. Jesus is your advocate. Think of it in in those terms. Jesus stands in the gap for you and defends you and says, I have sacrificed myself for them. They're mine. That's the picture we're given, but we're not done. The preacher to the Hebrews continues showing why it is, Jesus is in fact superior, the gospel is in fact superior to the law. And that is really, well, perfect is better than imperfect. Uh, The meme that I've chosen here is, uh, it's hard to believe somebody actually thinks this. Uh, The idea that (laughs) even a few attain it is uh, quite silly. Nevertheless, it's not an uncommon thought. The few here in our cases, there's one. There is one that's attained perfection, and that is, of course, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what he says in verse 26. First of all, he points out that the kind of priest Jesus is, as opposed to the priesthood before, is that he's unstained. It says this, "...for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, uh, uh, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens." Now, what it means here when it says he's separated from sinners doesn't mean that he doesn't have any interaction with sinners. We know that's not the case because all throughout his ministry, he's constantly interacting with sinners and constantly getting messy with them. Even though he's not engaging in sin, he is indeed eating with them and hanging out with them and handing out the forgiveness of sins all willy-nilly. I mean, that is a reality. So it doesn't mean that he's separated from them that way. What it means is he's separated from them in that he doesn't He never does sin himself. He really is innocent. He really is unstained. And I I love that because all of us, when I think about it, I think about how to describe humanity. Some people use the language of totally depraved, totally justified. By its definition, it works. But I've always thought an interesting way or a way to think about it is that we're all stained with sin. And we can't wash out the stain. There's not enough tide to go that will work to get rid of the stain of sin. Well, Jesus didn't have to wash out any of his own sin because he was unstained. He was holy. He is holy. He is innocent. And therefore, he is qualified to be a true and better high priest for us. Because again, all the former priests under the law were guilty of breaking the law. Indeed, they had to make sacrifices on their own behalf as well. The author continues by pointing out that not only is he an unstained priest, he's an atoning priest. Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The previous priesthood had to sacrifice an animal, had to bring the blood of bulls and goats to the altar in order to atone for the sins of the people, including their own sins. Jesus does need, needs to do no such thing as he offers his body once for all and declares from that cross It is finished. Another way of saying atoned for. I've paid for the world's sins. And more importantly, I've paid for your sins. Yes, indeed. He is not just one who sacrifices something to hopefully atone, but he is the atonement. He is the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. They were always meant to point to him. And so, yes, he's much better. He's a much better priest than the the priest that you would receive under the law. And then finally, he's a divine priest. Verse 28, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. notice, Notice the language there. By saying, uh, the oath, the pro- what is an oath? It's a promise. It's a promise sworn by God to the people. A promise that, that goes back really to the very beginning when you think about right after the fall when God promises that he'll send the offspring of woman to crush the head of the certain serpent. When you think about an oath, you can't help but think about God's promise to Abram that he will bring someone through his loins that will be a blessing to all the nations. That's a promise. That's an oath. And he swears by it unilaterally, makes a covenant with Abraham, that's what you do with an oath, makes a covenant and in uh, swears by himself that he will fulfill his promise. And indeed, he does through Jesus Christ by not sending merely a man, but indeed a divine son of God. Indeed, that definitely qualifies Jesus as a true and better priest than anything the law could possibly provide. And so for all these reasons and more, yes, it is fair and right and good to quote the author of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews, and say, the gospel is greater than law. It is a better covenant, because it has all been done for us by the Son of God himself. As Luther would say, those who lapse from the gospel to the law are no better off than those who lapse from grace into idolatry. Yes, the gospel is greater than the law, the gospel is the final word because the gospel is what will provide our true and better hope for all of eternity. So that's a short little passage from today. Not a not a ton of uh, things to go over today, but that was the text for this weekend's epistle. And so we've done we've dived into it. We've seen where law and gospel are. I hope it's been an encouragement to you, a blessing to you. Many blessings the rest of your week, and I look forward to seeing you next Tuesday.